I think what's what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, you your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zella, VP of Marketing at IronSource. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsflyers.com. Hello, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Twig 128. You've got myself, Joe Kim, Eric Kresmus, Kakakoff, and Adam Telfer. And today we are going to be covering three articles. First, Epic will lose over $300 million on Epic Game Store's exclusives. Is fine with that by PC Gamer. Second, Epic Games raises $1 billion for long-term metaverse plans with $200 million from Sony by VentureBeat. Third, could Apple and Google pull the plug on mobile game monetization by GameIndustry.biz? And finally, we will end with some predictions on revenue for Wild Rift, the mobile League of Legends game. How are you guys doing? I finally got a vacation. It wasn't long. It was like three days in Napa. But I tell you, it does, does like getting out of the house after like being, you know, stuck here for that long was actually really nice. California, despite all its challenges and problems and terrible governor, terrible city government, uh, California is a beautiful you on that, place man. to be. I'm with you My on taxes. that. <laughs> it's a beautiful place, though. See, the thing is that no matter how shitty it gets, the still like it's the best place in the world, right? There's just, you know, everyone... It's going to flock here no matter what, you know? Oh. So, no. So. No. I don't think so. Out, so what are you talking about? <laughs> you guys are going to be missing out on all the tech, all the shit that's going on, you know? Yeah. Well, With your really, really missing out here. Really missing out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. All right. Updates? Yeah. Number one, apologize for the background noise. Roofers decided last minute that this was the morning that they wanted to show up, even though they were supposed to show up last Friday. Um, so, anyways, there's going to be some background noise. Same crap as last week with the uh, neighbor that was chopping down their house. But, anyways, um, it's here, right? IDFA, it's here. What we've all been talking about, right? <laughs> no, it's not. Is it? Yeah. How many? It's, not fully, it's yeah. not fully implemented, is it? 
like the ATT pop-ups are rolling out. Developers are getting first glance, right? And opt-in rates. So now all of your IDFA methodologies have to be in place. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch download rates um, for top grossing games. You know, watch who's able to grow, who isn't. And of course, as financial calls start coming up, uh, really interesting to watch, you know, what does this do to percentage of net revenue going to marketing? Um, so that will be fun. Um, but beyond this, Eric actually did a great article um, calling out apps flyers. So the, the article from apps flyers was basically they stated the opt-in rates for uh, ATT to be roughly about 41% or even higher uh, when most publishers assumed 20%, which, you know, great, right? Apocalypse averted. We're good. Um, but that's not really the case. And I appreciate Eric for, for calling them out on this. Um, the first call out here is number one, it's not 41% on a per app basis. That's 28%. And it's actually dependent on genre. Um, second call out, this is definitely early. This is the golden cohort of ATT. So we definitely cannot assume that this is the baseline and that's it. And the biggest call out is that opt-in rates have to happen by both the advertiser and the publisher. So at minimum, we should be multiplying these rates together, but really, right? Like as flyers research isn't really looking at it this way. And we have to be looking at it more as a probabilistic given um, scenario, right? So the overlap in terms of the probability of opt-in on the advertiser's perspective versus opt-in on the publisher's perspective, um, that overlap not being calculated that way. So the percentage could be very, very different. So don't equate IDFA availability with an optimized opt-in rate for your own app. That was the biggest takeaway. And I would definitely say excellent article as always. What are you doing, Eric? Do you know, what here? is going on? Do you have like a metal oh, floor? <laughs> I, I'm updating all my Sony stuff on. while we do. Well, the, well, I, got, you know, I got a multitask, right? I got a lot of shit to do today. So I'm, I'm updating my... <laughs> um, but wait a minute. So the opt-in stuff is for every app too, right? So the more apps that you're... How does it actually work? So if I have one game that I play and then I open up another game, if I opt out of that well, first game, is it going to opt out of me second game or is it going to ask for another opt-in or opt-out again? I think every single it's game has their own ATT. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I could opt into one game, but not opt in another game in theory. Okay. Got it. And that's exactly what Eric is talking about here. And then if one of them is not opted in, then the whole thing doesn't work. So uh, next Whoa, article. Okay, oh, sorry, that is my question. Sorry, I, I clearly was not paying attention. So, if I opt out of one, then I've opt out of them all. No, no, it's per app. <laughs> it's per, per app. app. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Can we like, let's get Eric like the smarter Eric on the podcast next time? Yeah. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Be good. Yeah. Um, next article uh, by Ethan Levy from Network, uh, a previous monetization consultant. I loved his GDC talks in, in the past, especially the one on the Tower of Want. Um, but he did a great post on Gama Sutra this week on the NBA Top Shot economy uh, and definitely recommend reading it to give context on how this works, right? Because NBA Top Shot, NFTs, blockchain, all this hype, it's really nice to get somebody to cut through the crap there and actually say, okay, this is how this economy is built. Um, and, and this is how you should be thinking about it. And it's great. Um, the title of the, the article is even better. Three ways the NBA top shot economy could collapse. Love clip, clickbait. Um, but anyways, 
Um, so Topshot, as we've reported before, $305 or million in investment round, 204 million of transactions happening on the platform. And really it's an effectively built rarity focused gotcha card pack game that really ratchets up the rarity systems as much as physically possible. Um, so what's great about this, this article really kind of shows the way that they did this with things like limited windows for selling card packs, like sneakers, uh, rarity tiers of content multiplied by issued amounts. So there's rarer versions of rare cards, so to speak, like where and CSGO and the value of these cards, right? has to be arguable. Um, goes into this a little bit, but of course, this is just proving ownership on the blockchain. Everyone can download, see, view, get every discernible value about that card um, just digitally. They can copy it as many times, but this is only proof that you exist on this blockchain. So the value is completely tied to whether you believe in this blockchain. Um, but anyways, putting your mobile CCRPG live hops hat on, the collapse scenarios that he's talking about are number one, that new content is, becomes not as valuable as old content. Core fans no longer attaching to new content, no longer seeing value, which could create market panic scenarios where spiraling happens, new content is dropping in value over increasing in value, which on top of the obvious friction of blockchain based transactions, right? Ethan actually mentions that while you could sell your cards to make 200K right now, that's the headline, profit is theoretical since that actually takes six to eight weeks to do with withdrawal. Is it um, so really these are all like that. Yeah. To actually do six a proper to eight withdrawal. weeks for withdrawal. Yeah. They, they promised 30 days and the reality right now is six to eight weeks given the given blockchain. So this creates all the ingredients for a very precarious position. And I, I really like that, that, that wording of it. Um, but anyways, great article. Definitely recommend reading it. Um, I've got two call-outs for recruitment. Number one, Magmatic Games in Berlin. Uh, friends of the podcast, <laughs> Florian and Florian, um, they've actually built a very successful merge title, Travel Town and Soft Launch, uh, with great KPIs that are now scaling. They're looking for game designers, PMs, producers, analysts, UA developers. All these positions are open in Berlin and are definitely open to remote. So preferring, of course, being around, say, European time zone, uh, but still very open. So if you work for Miska Studio, and you're very talented, and you want to make more money, you should definitely go to Magmatic Games. I can, I can assure you, I can, I can assure you that nobody who works at our studio in Berlin wants to make merge games. If they do, oh. you know. So, uh, and second recruiting notice is about WB. Um, so I'm working in a central strategy role um, across the WB portfolio. So that's mobile and PC console. Uh, I'm looking for fully remote. Uh, systems designers and PMs who really want to work across mobile PC console. So I really say if you're tired of working in live ops on a single title for years and want a new challenge <laughs> with a focus on high-level strategy, please reach out. I definitely need help. Anyways, Miska. All right. All right. All right. All right. Some news. So first of all, AppLovin's IPO. Now we finally see some numbers. So they're raising $2 billion at a valuation of 30 billion dollars interesting points in the uh, in the document is that 86 percent of all revenue is coming from the mobile games portfolio nevertheless despite being a games company with an ad tech component they're trading at a 20 times revenue and 73 times ebitda so i mean this is a shout out just to the leadership team of of selling this company in a, an extremely great way 
And um, yeah, a 30 billion valuation, just like we predicted actually in growth triggers. This can't end well. It's, it just really can't end well. Like they're basically 86% of the revenues from mobile games. They're like Zynga <laughs> trading it at, at 20 times revenue. Right? <laughs> so, well, Zynga doesn't have the ad tech component yet. So maybe when Zynga gets the ad tech component, maybe they go to 20 times. Oh, so, <laughs> heaven anyway. help us. Heaven help us, dude. Iron Source, App Levin. This is not going to end it well at all. Unity's already down 50%. Ugh. All right, let's talk about Crash Bandicoot. So we talked a little bit, and it's performing as expected, about 37 million installs and a bit over a million in revenue. So this was – I'm just raising this because there was a lot of talk on Deconstructor Fun Slack channel about this game. Uh, so just I, – I played the game very well made, uh, you know, game it's it's a runner still they added a crafting mechanic to pace the session instead of going with something like energy and the crafting is used to challenge the the uh, the bosses but i mean everybody can play and, and see how this works um king strategy usually at least previously has been that they're making games that make 100 million a year i really doubt that this game makes 100 million a year the global revenue per download has declined from nine cents which was the, <laughs> the, the highest to two cents. Now, of course, this this doesn't take the uh, the advertising revenue into account, but I doubt that it's gonna you know make ninety cents on top of that. Who is saying it's gonna make a hundred? Build a runner. What do you think is gonna happen? Actually, someone reached out to me and confirmed exactly what I said the last time: is yeah. that this was like Activision's like King, you're not making any new games. Make a game for Crash Bandicoot. Okay, King's like, let's make a runner, right? Yeah. Like, like that's ever going to make any money, and that's what yeah. they did. So. so, Joe, Joe, reply to you, like, who said they're looking for hundred million? That's been usually their thresholds, uh, at oh, least okay. according to the word on the street. That's usually how they greenlit games. They they need bigger games, and and hundred million kind of makes sense for a developer of that size and a publisher. Um, and again, a little bit of a word from the street, and that is that they've been looked like Activision has been looking to make a mobile version of Bandicoot. Since 2014, they finally found it, and this is—I don't mean it in a in a condescending way or anything—but uh, it looks like the design is from 2014. So it looks like this design has been there, and they finally found somebody to do it, and they did it, and it's a good execution. But it's very much a puzzling element here: is that like, what is the product market fit? And what I'm really like, what I would really want to hear is. How did this game get greenlit? Not that it's a bad game, but it's just not the right game maybe for King's portfolio. So it would be interesting to, to hear the conversation because there was a lot of theses on why they would do this type of game that has a broad audience but doesn't really monetize. Uh, but yeah, anyway. I be- already told you why. I told you exactly why. Yeah. The guys at Activision yeah. were like, dude, make something, King. You're yeah. making the same fucking game over and over again and you're losing share every year, right? But runner, but a runner. Like we Who know cares? Like, like, what else can they make? You know, like okay. they, they were, it's just been forced down. What, what else are you going to do with the Crash Bandicoot license? Right, do a platformer. Like a platformer will be worse and much harder to develop. The yeah. economics of a runner are pretty well known, so I kind of suspect this couldn't be a shock to those guys, right? Like, it must be more of a reach play. It must no, be. They, they, they must have known. They the no, no. It's it's, it's, it's it not a secret. Joe, here's how it goes. <laughs> Joe, Joe, here's how it goes. Here, here's how it goes. We are we are innovating on the runner genre by adding a battle pass <laughs> to, to the runner category 
this is going to monetize and, and you know, we're going to get 15% conversion and, you know, only like 5% a month, like, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I, I, I know how the pitch went. I, 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 I these, these I, fucking I, Mackenzie Bain motherfuckers are out there <laughs> making pitches, you know, with all these crazy stats. I gotta believe this was a reach play for them. I, I, yeah, I, so I gotta believe that's what it that's, was. That's, but. that's the, uh, that's the other one. And, and by the way, from the runners, like I've played the uh, the Game Loft Spider Man Runner game, it's really well made and has this very interesting gotcha and like an RPG mechanic. And even the economics for that game weren't that hot. And you can actually find the people who made it. So maybe they could have talked to them about an IP plus a progression. Anyways, so I'm giving okay. I'm giving them the better for the doubt. They had no yeah. choice. They had to okay. make this game. There was no choice. All right, so we we all agree that it's a good game, but maybe a wrong company to be to be doing it. Like if Activision would have done a third party, I've never called. played it. Like but... you shouldn't make mobas and you shouldn't make runners. Full stop. Right. Stop it. Just stop. Right. Okay, okay, so let's talk about let's let's go to the next one. Clash Quest. So I've been playing it for a few days. I've personally churned out. Uh, it has a very rapid increase of difficulty, pretty much like what we saw with Heyday Pop. Uh, the game also felt extremely restrictive. And what I mean by that is, as you enter the level, you're taking your army. But in this case, you're not allowed to change your army. So let's say you've unlocked the archer. You can't go back to the previous level and now use the archers to pass this level and to get more points and to get maybe the three stars, which the game really rewards you. So they, it, it, it enforces you to do mastery, but it doesn't allow you, it doesn't give you the freedom to achieve that. The only way to progress is really by upgrading your units. And the only way you upgrade units is by getting the unit shards and coins. And the only get way to get those is by replaying the levels where you have to replay it with the same same troops. So this, in my opinion, leads quickly to a position where, where the replaying is just not fun and you're doing it just to get a some amount of points and it's restricted by energy. And... Um, yeah, it's. I don't know. I'm, I'm wishing all the best for the team that they can turn this around. Uh, really requires quite a trick because, as a reference, this is uh, pretty much like Legend of Soul Guard, uh, which pretty much got two bucks per intro. What is Eric? You gotta, you gotta like mute your mic. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, can you mute Eric? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, don't worry. I'll get your pants too. All right, all right. <laughs> like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Right. Don't mute me. Don't mute me. Don't right. cancel me, dude. So, <laughs> so as a reference, this game is very much like Legend of Solgard. And Legend of Solgard passed recently $2 per install. But the fact is, the game was launched in 2017. It made about a uh, little over $10 million with $4 million installs. And uh, it pretty much hasn't had any installs since uh, since June of 2020. So, yeah, it's um, the, the numbers are not too high. feels very... Yeah, feels feels challenging. So let's let's talk about the next next Clash game. So of course, Auto Chess. Very much interested in the Auto Chess version of Clash that is coming in soon. Um, given the lack of monetization of this genre, it's going to be very interesting to see what what Supercell has done, uh, especially given that the uh, the art style of the, uh, the 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 Clash Auto Chess is quite kiddish. Uh, but maybe maybe they're connect with the uh, with the Brawl Stars audience, and maybe it will be a much broader game than the TFTs and and Dota battles and so forth. So, um, very much looking forward to playing that, and of course, you know, hoping that that the guys can turn Doko and, and and his team can turn this around. Um, and then finally, shout out to Level Up Blog, Eric. I'm not going to listen to your <laughs> clash hate on this. No, 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 just 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 one thing. Heaven help Supercell at this point. 
No, it's it's all good. Uh, so anyway, shout out to Level Up Blog. So they have this good post. Uh, I missed it when it originally came, but it was it's called "What I Wish I Knew When Building a New Game Studio." This is by Sophie Vo. Uh, she's a um, studio and game lead at Wudu, and she shares her key lessons from building up Wudu's new studio in Berlin. Very interesting read. She contextualizes everything and and creates concepts like it's a it's a good read for anybody. Um, Anybody in, in um yeah in, in studio leadership as well as working in smaller studios on how to how to yeah how to how to good studio looks like for internal. Anyway, let's talk about Epic. Okay, question everybody. What's the hardest part about making a video game? Ready to answer? Well, if you just replied funding, then you are not alone. That's why Exola created Exola Funding Club. Exola Funding Club is a complimentary matching service that puts video games like yours in front of multiple publishers and investors. Apply today to join a portfolio of expertly curated games. Join Exola Funding Club today at exola.com slash funding. That's X-S-O-L-L-A dot com slash funding. Link in the show notes. Thanks, everybody. All right, so rolling into the news, and the first article is Epic will lose over $300 million on Epic Game Store exclusive. Is fine with that. So as reported by PC Gamer, in its battle to take on Steam as a PC game store, Epic has spent the last two years on essentially over 100 exclusivity deals and obviously giving away free games every week. And due to Epic's big legal fight with Apple, we learned from some of the legal disclosure that Epic did commit around $444 million to Epic Game Store exclusivity deals just in 2020 alone. And more specifically, you know, that $444 million on um, minimum guarantees. Uh, and, and what that means is that they will be exclusive to the Epic Game Store for one year, and then they can uh, basically go to Steam or other platforms. And as one example, they note that Epic paid 10 $10.45 million for control. So it sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Uh, in Epic's end-of-year report, it stated that players spent $700 million on the Epic Game Store in 2020, but third-party game sales only accounted for $265 million of that spend. So obviously the remainder of that would be on Fortnite. According to Apple, Epic is going to lose, quote, at least $330 million in unrecouped costs from minimum guarantees alone, end quote. If you also consider 2019 steals, uh, Epic's Game Store is projected to lose less than $600 million by end of 2021. And this is based on some of the legal depositions uh, from Epic Game Store VP and GM Steve Allison and their VP of Business Development. And the way that it breaks down is Epic lost $181 million in 2019. They projected a loss of $273 million last year and projects another loss of $139 million this year. Hence, Apple points out Epic needs to recoup another $600 million to break even, and it doesn't expect that to happen until 2027. Epic, on the other hand, expects to earn profits in 2023. And uh, in response, uh, Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic, stated, quote, EGS is not yet profitable at its current scale and stage of development because it has front-loaded its marketing user acquisition costs to gain market share. So my take on this is that, you know, you essentially have, you got to bet big to win big. I think that going after this market is, in my opinion, a really smart move. This is something Epic should be doing. The moat to entry is huge. So there's only a handful of companies that can do it. 
Epic also has massive synergies based on its engine business, and Fortnite also drives a lot of traffic to the store. And so from my perspective, the only real weakness here has been the product management of EGS, the Epic Game Store itself. So while you know Valve's basically been asleep at the wheel for years with Steam, Epic hasn't really capitalized on its opportunity to create a unique and compelling customer experience. So the, the only complaint I would have is just the lack of innovation or creativity on the EGS side. So for example, there's no notion of enabling game studios to, for example, include in influencer video endorsements associated with games, no referral program like, like Amazon has for influencers to potentially help drive sales. Very poor surfacing of like social features, letting me know what my friends like to play, what influencers buy and play. And, you know, as far as I know, I haven't received any sort of like Amazon like personalized recommendations, no humble bundle. How about like porting publishing PC only games to Mac and trying to capture the Mac audience? So, so again, just to keep it real for a second, I'm a huge fan of Epic, just to be clear, but I don't see enough experimentation, innovation on the Epic Game Store. I'd love to see more of that. And uh, open offer to Epic. If you guys want some ideas, if you want free consulting, if you promote my game when it launches, I'd be happy to do free consulting. Same offer to Apple, because you got to think that those guys are cooking up a store once, especially like a single deploy solution once they once they have like the M1 chips and that they'll probably do something similar. Anyway, what do you guys think? Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not get, you're not getting away with the Apple M1 <laughs> bullshit. They're never going to be a gaming company. They don't give a fuck about gaming at all. They never have. Um, they optimize around their own OS and their own apps, right? They don't ever, ever have anything to do with gaming. Um, let's see. Well, we, we talked about this years. I mean, when we first started the podcast, we were talking about how Epic was just basically burning, burning money on these, on these uh, exclusives and spending insane amounts of money. I mean, if you do the math on just that one deal that you talked about, like the 10 and a half million, I mean, that implies that they have to do like 7 million units on PC for control. <laughs> That's insane, right? That's never going to happen. So, well, but Eric, do you think strategically it's a good move or a bad move? Well, I, I, I'm going to make the same argument that I made a year and a half ago. It's like I, I think it is a good move if you actually have a platform, right? But they don't have a platform. They don't have a social platform that's embedded within this epic launcher, right? This is not like Discord or fuck even Slack or something like that. Like, there's so many. They can get the players but they need to retain them and keep them engaged with the with the with the with with social features which they just don't have but, so it, it's but you're 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 agreeing with me though right it's like good strategy needs better execution essentially well or or they should have like built out the platform before they started to drive all the traffic right because at the end of the day this is a launcher right this is nothing more than a launcher right i'm launching fortnite i actually i have bought games on it because it's a it's a better launcher in a way than steam is you know but steam is more of a platform of, of social engagement and in recommendations and all that other stuff so I, they just need to build it out right and 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 so i don't really disagree with the strategy per se i'm just saying like i think it was a little early i think they should have just waited until they actually built something that was a little bit more sticky you know i don't know that's kind of my thinking generally um but you know, and the, but on the on the flip side, the fact is that they likely are on a ton of desktops now, or just in general because of the you know, popularity of Fortnite. 
And so it maybe gives them the Trojan horse to to build new stuff and, and you know, and we'll get to it in the next story, but like, you know, what their metaverse is going to be, they build more and more content and more of interesting things and that, that'll be a place for that, that consumer to go in theory. But uh, I personally think that Joe has a crush on Tim Sweeney after his interview. <laughs> he wants him back on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. That's what this is all about. Um, but yeah, again, we're going to get this into the like into this a little bit in the next article. But I think, like, if you count up all of the battles that Epic is in, right? Like, the, each of them on their own could be won by Epic. But I just believe that even though they have so much cash from Fortnite, they are still stretching their resources too thin, right? Like, in terms of counting up the the uh, fronts that they have to win in this war, right? Fighting against Valve with the Epic Game Store obviously hundreds of millions of loss a year for the next years in order to gain just enough market share that they can actually compete against Valve. And don't forget about Microsoft Game Pass on PC, which obviously is going to be growing in share with time. Um, when obviously from Joe's uh, feedback, I agree, they need to operate that game, that, that launcher better, right? And they obviously need more resources in order to operate a better user experience, which is more unique, which leverages all the tech that they have, right? Nothing about that Nothing about the Epic Game Store currently is unique at all. And obviously, they're resource constrained in order to create that feature. Um, second fight, they're going up against Apple, right, in order to allow them to operate on mobile without the 30% cut. That is obviously taking a lot of revenue off of their, their plate in order to fight that battle. And then lastly, Metaverse Ambitions, which we'll get into in the next article. But from my perspective, like they should be building a Roblox competitor, right? Uh, I would be focusing on that, right? Creative mode in Fortnite is a major gap that could drive Fortnite to a whole nother level and actually create a whole unique moat of their own, right? Which would actually drive the Epic Games Store, which would drive Apple even further, right? And actually, you know, help them win those other fights. So from my perspective, I think obviously, even with the amount of cash that they have, they can fight a lot of these battles, but I would be focusing much more on the metaverse ambition than I would be um, against the Epic Games Store or against Apple. Personally. Yeah. One thing that is not often raised up is like Epic has grown quite significantly since the release of Fortnite. Uh, not only has it opened up these new battles and new fronts with, with Steam, with Apple, but the organization has grown a lot. And I think the top management has also evolved through this time so when when we think more objectively about this not being like the fanboys of epic or fanboys of tim sweeney it's um it, it's sometimes like questionable like who's challenging these decisions to to start these multiple wars and these investments because as adam you said like if they would have only one front they could probably win it but now they're opening up multiple fronts and it's really hard to focus and and manage your resources between them so uh, i don't know usually when companies grow and you, when companies become super successful and grow very rapidly and the leadership changes, uh, the leadership changes towards the way that they're supporting the CEO in everything that the CEO does and become sort of a yes man. So I'm, I'm I don't know. Uh, I'm just hypothesizing. I, I don't know anything about Epic. So this this kind of from the side looking seems that that um, nobody's really challenging these uh, pretty big decisions. All right, moving on to the next article. <laughs> well, I mean, we're burying the lead here, so I guess a lot of this information was was disclosed. Oh no, this this information was disclosed from the lawsuit. Is that where you got? Yeah, okay. All right, but they also at the same time are raising an insane amount of money, a billion dollars, 
um, at like a, a $30 billion valuation. And that was just announced recently, which is, is, is pretty impressive in general. Uh, 200 million is coming from Sony. And then like basically the who's who of investors, including Fidelity and T. Rowe and BlackRock, et cetera. Even I think one of my clients actually participated in this round um, at, this, at this level. Um, and, and, and my view anyway, at least this company is worth, maybe worth that much money compared to some of the other companies we're talking about this valuation range. So anyway, the, 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 the news really though is that Tim Sweeney still has control of the company because he is the only, or in the, in the common stock, which actually gives, gives control, he's still uh, the uh, majority owner. Um, they basically said in this that it, this investment will accelerate our work around connected social experiences between their games um, and also work on the other things that they're talking about, Unreal and online services, et cetera. Um, and then it goes on to say, I, I couldn't tell if this was actually old quotes from Sweeney or not, but they were talking, I think it is actually, but they said that, you know, Sweeney was quoted as saying, like, the technology is here to build out the metaverse, right? And that, you know, everything is available right now. The fact is that we just need to, to pull people together and get the development developers together and get all the elements together and the online experiences together to make it happen instead of being science fiction. So, um, but, but again, the... <laughs> I'm still a little bit concerned, not concerned, I'm a little bit not understanding exactly what their strategy is for the metaverse. You know, the the, I, the clickbait of this title was basically that, you know, they're raising $1 billion for long-term metaverse plans, but I really don't understand exactly what their plans were. My understanding was that they were basically going to build a competitor to Roblox, right? Um, and and that may be, but, uh, but my people that I've talked to say that that's not what they're doing at all. So <laughs> I really don't understand exactly um, what, what, what they're building. So I'd love to get your guys' feedback on that. And just as, as, a, as another, as a side too, is that these type of rounds that are so big, um, generally speaking, I doubt Epic needs the working capital, like needs the cash to, to continue doing what they're doing. A lot of this is probably allocated to early investors or employees that are cashing out, right? That, that want to get their money out of, of the company. And I, it doesn't disclose how much of this billion dollars was that, but I, I bet a big portion of it was that um, and, and not necessarily, you know, working capital. So um, any, so anyway, I, Adam, I don't know. And Joseph, what do you guys think they're actually trying to do in terms of the metaverse? If it's not Roblox. It's, by the way, it's, it's not the metaverse anymore. It's the omniverse. <laughs> you know, no, I actually think that, so based upon the interview I had with Tim Sweeney a while back, I actually felt that he had a more grounded and practical approach to metaverse, which is that because to your point about science fiction, too many people talk about the metaverse in such a conceptual and like non-practical way. One of the things that Tim mentioned was like, hey, you know, may, what if the metaverse were 2D? <laughs> you know, like at least in Fortnite, you've got real practical things happening, whether it's concerts or whatever that are more tangible than a lot of the pie in the sky conceptual things that people are talking about, not to, not to point anybody out. But I, I think when other people talk about metaverse, it's just not practical enough. But one thing I want to say, Adam, to your point are about, are they fighting too many battles on too many fronts? I, I, I think that the other thing you have to think about is that sometimes 
it's a timing issue, right? Like, is it a great time to raise money? Yes. Is Fortnite at a high? So you want to launch Epic Game Store to take advantage of some of the things that are happening? Yes. And so I think there's there's kind of the balance between timing against some of the organizational issues and scaling issues that you're going to have to deal with. So for me, I, I think Epic's doing all the right things strategically, but yeah, it will have to get its execution underneath it and its organizational issues underneath it. But strategically, I, I can't fault Epic for, for anything that it's doing right now, personally. But now, how about this? Between all of you guys, would you guys be an investor right now at a $30 billion valuation? I'd be Is really worried money? about this because no, the thing, is, thing is, we're, we're talking a lot about you know how, how all the companies are getting – like I see JK – trolling everybody on LinkedIn with the uh, the growth loop, <laughs> hyper loop, uh, NFT, metaverse. But but think about it like in a, in a company like Epic, could you get projects started? Could you get things forward by just saying the word metaverse? Like, is that the magic word so. that opens up so. gates? I, no, I, don't I, don't think so. I, I think they're smarter than that. Yeah. I would, I would invest in Epic now because I, I just feel like they are steps away from like uh, building a proper metaverse, they've already got that scale and their engineering capabilities are like, there's no one else in the West that can, can match them. So I, I'm, I would definitely bet on Epic, even at this valuation. How about you, uh, Mr. Skeptic, Mr. Metaverse Skeptic Joseph? I mean, of any gaming company, I probably more most optimistic about Epic but I wouldn't invest in any gaming company. <laughs> I go all in on Tesla. I'm all in on Tesla. Leveraged a short S&P 500. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Epic versus Applovin. Like, would you, if you had to, to invest into one of those two? Oh my God! Please give me a break. Epic. I, I will say Epic, pe- people underestimate Applovin though, because yeah. if, if they're able to continue to execute their strategy, I mean, you know, and people just keep feeding them data, they, they can take over all of casual. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That, that's a pretty big market. Why just casual? They bought, you know, machine zone, so they can move I, to I, I'm more doubtful in terms of their ability to execute against mid-core, hardcore tiles, but in, anything that's closer to top of funnel, anything that's closer mm-hmm. to the front end where they're able to leverage a lot of the advantage of their ad network, I would say yes. And then on the mid-core, hardcore side, I, I'm skeptical. Okay. I, I know they may be able to add that capability over time, especially with that much but, money, but, but I, you, I don't think they got it now. But you would still choose Epic, right? Yeah. Okay. All right, go All ahead, ahead. Mishka. All right. Um, so there was an article on Game Industry Biz called Could Apple and Google Pull the Plug on Mobile Game Monetization? So very clickbaity. Uh, this was an opinion piece written by Rob Fahey. Uh, I'm if I'm mispronouncing, apologies. So the thesis is, as a consumer and governmental pressure mounts over loot boxes, services like Apple Arcade indicate a desire by platform holders to move away from the monetization free for all. The article talks about various national and supranational bodies taking an interest in how loot box types monetization works, predicts that legislation in these fields is almost inevitably going to drag in the platform operators, namely Apple and Google, uh, overseeing whatever mishmash of laws and regulations end up being in place. So the author justifies Apple Arcade in the following way. The Apple weighed up the popularity and reputation of existing App Store games against the revenues it realizes from their in-app purchases and found the results of that calculation troubling, enough that it invested a pretty significant amount of time and money in creating an alternative. In other words, author sees 
it as a service designed to appeal to users who are put off by predatory monetization strategies. Um, he's seeing Apple Arcade as the plan B. And even though he realizes that the, uh, the sort of a plan B in Apple Arcade is, is not working as it should, and in, in according to, to Rob, he mentions that it's because of lack of discovery that, according to him, would or could be fixed if, App, if Apple Arcade would live outside the App Store. And he also mentions that it's because of lack of those premier titles, uh, which he actually says... He doesn't say it's fixed, but he talks about the new premiere titles coming in by people who I already whose name I forgot. I'm, I'm sure as an indie developer, everybody is very excited. I think it's a Square Enix developers, somebody else. Uh, anyways, some indie developers with JRPGs are, are doing some games that should be the ones that draw the big traffic to, to Apple Arcade. And finally, he, he talks about Apple Arcade and kind of makes this notion that it functions much like the Netflix model. And in the way he sees it is that once you have a Netflix subscription, you're likely to balk at paying to rent a movie or going to a cinema. So, uh, you know, there's, of course, no data to prove this. And I actually took some numbers. Okay, okay, okay. Right. Stop, 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 stop. This guy, I mean, look, I, I think I've read Fahey's stuff before. I don't think he's a moron. I'm not and I, I, I'm not saying he is a moron, but that is a fucking moronic statement right there. That is like, they, he doesn't even understand Free to play at all? He doesn't understand the game business at all. Anyway, go ahead. So let's let's talk about some facts. So you know, and, and that Netflix thing was was basically saying. But I looked at the stats of box office, and and the box office have been rising since two thousand seven, and of course last year was horrific. But it just kind of shows that even though you have a Netflix subscription, you can still go to cinema, and you probably will rent a movie because Netflix doesn't have it all. Anyways, so let's talk about some of the facts with Apple Arcade. They had a very large batch of games, and there was a massive promotion in App Store. Like, even Eric, accidentally, I think you got Apple Arcade for a month. Because <laughs> it was free for everybody. It was Sucker. impossible to open up the App Store without it. And even now, it's impossible to open up the App Store without seeing massive promotion for really cool-looking games. After this big batch, the first batch, they slashed a lot of games. And a lot of games in development were killed by Apple. So they just stopped funding them. And... We know this because there's a ton of developers who are suddenly open for work and they were unable to talk about it. But, you know, word on the street was that they were working for a certain premier mobile subscription, and I doubt it was Google. Anyway, why this happened? Well, the quality of a single-player game, like a quality single-player game, it takes about a year to build and ship. And that's if you have a gel team that has done it before. But in order to play that quality single-player game, like how much time does it take you to play one of those? 10 hours? Maybe 30 hours at max? I doubt you're playing much longer than that. And of course, you increase the lifetime of these games by having social gameplay. That's always great. And most importantly, having new content. And the new content is only justified to be created by the studio that made the game if that brings them additional revenue and if it keeps growing or it keeps the, the existing player base at the same time, uh, at the same size. So in the Apple Arcade business model, this additional content is really discouraged because it re it only brings additional cost to the developer. Now, of course, I don't know if there's some kind of a revenue share based on time spent playing these games or how it functions. Uh, I don't think many people are talking about that openly. I'm sure Apple is not talking about it openly, so I'm just making a hypothesis here. And... What this scenario creates, it it's leads to a pressure to create more games because the existing games are not holding players and they're not releasing more content. 
And when you're making more and more games, that increases the cost of that content and also bloats your organization because suddenly you're becoming this big publishing organization choosing what type of games should be coming in and, and following those and kind of acting almost like, an, like a third-party developer for them. And in the end, the content chosen to Apple Arcade is chosen by people uh, who are clearly not maybe the fans of free-to-play and want to bring a new kind of experience. So it is driven by the taste of certain critics instead of the taste of the market. And that's actually, you know, being a capitalist, that, that, is, a, that is a weird way to, to operate an economy. So the, the kind of a, like the big question without balking too much about on, on Rob's thesis or an Apple Arcade, it's, it's really a question like how can Apple turn this around? So now they have a new batch of games. They clearly changed their strategy to a little bit different. Uh, but I believe that the games have to be inherently social because that increases their playtime and it's fun to play any kind of games together. Um, I think they have to ramp up their revenue model to incentivize the content creation. So if you made a great game for Apple Arcade and people are pay playing it, I don't know if they have this. If they do, that's great. But the model has to be in a way that the people who made that game are incentivized to create more content so that game continues to be the one that is played uh, by the players in Apple Arcade. And through that, they're, they're continuing to subscribe to it. And finally, I think microtransactions make sense, whether it's DLC or, you know, some certain kind of content packs like in FIFA Ultimate Team. But the inherent problem always is that if the business is driven by ideology versus a market need or, or, or market demand, it's it's very hard to to adapt to the market. So that's my uh, that's my analysis. Uh, look, I, I, dude, I'm not I'm not going to go on the fucking Apple Arcade rant again. But like uh, Apple Arcade is the stupidest idea ever brought to video games and it may it continues to be so and it's never going to be successful except as part of an overall subscription package for apple which in that case people are going to do it they're just going to opt into it and but they're never going to get the engagement on anyway so there's no way you can fix apple arcade it was a dumb idea to begin with the guys at apple that are running it are not not thinking clearly about what the consumer how the consumer actually consumes content on mobile right and so, but this article is a little bit more disturbing in the sense that it's it's not about Apple Arcade per se. It's the notion that Google and Apple are going to go after and shut down monetization of the of the apps on the store is is outrageous. I mean, it's out fucking outrageous. You know, like they are not doing that, right? It's up to the publisher to determine whether or not they're in compliance with the local laws of every country. So, I've read this guy before. I don't think he is. I think he's good, I, but this article is really bad, right? Because it is clear that he doesn't have an understanding of monetization on, on games. He doesn't have an understanding of what the app store's policies are. He doesn't understand the pay to win mechanics that are involved in gaming, just in mobile free to play gaming. Loot boxes, he doesn't really understand that. He doesn't understand the legislation bodies that he's talking about, right, in, in, in the UK. I, I, it seems like he did no research on this piece whatsoever. He basically is reacting to this study that was done basically condemning loot boxes because it's targeting children, right? Like that is a fucking legitimate story, right? Because the, the, the results of this particular study were actually relatively interesting is that like 23% of kids ages 11 to 16 were involved in loot boxes. That's not good, right? They shouldn't be doing that. And, and it says that loot boxes, the behavior mechanic of loot boxes is similar to gambling. I fucking agree. I totally agree. I think that, I, that that's what makes loot boxes 
sketchy as fuck, right? And they should not be targeted at kids. 100% agree with that, right? But what he fails to mention is the part of the article that basically says just that. It says that the UKIE responded to this article saying, look, we've already identified this as an issue. We have made age ratings and age gating part of, of these type of programs using the PEGI system in the UK. And it allows managers to uh, players and, and even um, publishers to manage or limit or turn off spend completely. Right. So they've already acknowledged this before this research even came out. Right. And so anyway, I, I, I think far reaching like platform changes in which they're going to basically outlaw like loot boxes is ludicrous, right? It, 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 and then on top of it, it doesn't really go into the clear thing. It's like what percentage of this $20 billion market that's estimated is kids. It's probably very, very small. So even if it were a problem and it wasn't being dealt with with the UKIE and other bodies that are trying to manage this stuff, it's still likely mice nuts relative to the overall industry. And so so that, 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 that there's no reason for Google and Apple to go after loot boxes in, in this scenario, right? So that's kind of my whole take. So the whole article is ludicrous from the get-go. And so I wish Fahey would, uh, would actually do a little work rather than throwing these like, you know, clickbait articles out there. I think, Mishka, the point that you raise is, to me, the more interesting point, which is, if not Apple Arcade in its current manifestation, what could actually make it work? How do they turn yeah. it around? And I, I think that the fundamental problem is just that the basic operating model is not the right one. They shouldn't be thinking of, of it as Netflix for gaming. They should be thinking about, about it more like, in terms of an operating model, more like what is the Amazon Prime of, of gaming? You know what I'm saying? More of a club membership, humble, humble bundle, something that's a little bit more not oriented around like how they have it, but that would actually achieve their objective of how do you protect artistic and high quality experiences mm -hmm. uh, for mobile games. And so yeah. how, how would you continue to support games like Fantasian and other interesting, unique, compelling indie experiences? And so again, I think that they do have to go back to the drawing board. They have to throw out this Netflix idea and adopt Amazon Prime as their operating model. And then they would have a thousand times the success. Apple, if you have any questions, let me know. Feature <laughs> yeah, my game in the future. Really, I'll help uh, you guys out. Free consulting. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I think one's bitten twice shy. Anybody that actually tries to develop and is, is taking money from Apple to, to, to build on this bullshit is it's just like they're basically sign, signing their death warrant, right? I mean, they're both ultimately, as we said before, you know, the, the, the music's going to stop, right? And it did stop for like multiple developers, right? And so... I don't know why you even get involved in something that cannot be commercially successful. It's like, seems like, it seems like well, a suicide. I, well, I mean, I, I guess that would depend on your definition of commercially successful, right? Because you yeah, got to imagine that even like not a great model, even a bad model with all that promotion. Is and all like, that money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, come on. I wouldn't do it though. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't put my studio or my company at the behest of someone like Apple who clearly does not care about their partners or well, their, I mean, their developers. I don't know about that. Like I, I yeah. actually applaud the objective, which is to to you know protect artistic experiences for gaming. I I, I mean I can't argue with that, that yeah, and, objective. And the fact that Apple changed course mid flight is smart. I mean they they had to course correct. 
Uh, they they slash certain games in development and move towards other type of games, as we're seeing with a new batch. So I don't I can't fault them for that. That's making decisions. And also, like okay, as a smaller developer, as an indie, right? I mm-hmm. could take money from Apple, build a st- strong contained experience, uh, right? Keep right? right. <laughs> up my studio to build up a great game. You guys game. are triggering yeah. a long term vision, right? Yeah. Like, and then halfway through development, they say, "Fuck you, you're done." Right? We're <laughs> out, We're pulling <laughs> our money out because this doesn't fit our current, our revised strategy. Fuck that. Dude. Sure, That's then great. Much. Then I move on to the next game, but well, I've just got I, all I, that. I paid made this time. point before. But meanwhile, you're making a game that is not fit for the market, right? No one wants to play these games. And so, yeah. like, therefore, you're making you're building expertise around something that's not marketly viable, right? Mm. As opposed to actually going after games that are that are marketly viable, right? Anyway, I I I I, I think Apple has no idea what they're doing. And then their idea is to sell phones, right? Let them sell phones. They do a good job of selling phones. They make an amazing operating system. I love my iPhone. I will never get rid of it, you know, but that's all they do, again. right? What? You'll never get rid of it again. <laughs> oh, yeah, never get rid of it again. That was a terrible experience. I'm never doing that again. I still have it, though. I still have it. Let's move on. on. Historical, what everybody's actually sticking around for, besides Eric... <laughs> Throwing every journalist under the bus. Okay, so <laughs> Wild Rift is League of Legends for everyone. Okay, so we we wanted to do this last week, but let's do this. Wild Rift predictions. Um, so as context here, Wild Rift, obviously, very well-crafted MOBA, simplifies League of Legends, focuses on improving the onboarding as much as possible. They're selling both heroes and cosmetics, uh, but at this time, characters are pretty much being given out like candy. Um, especially if you have a ride account. So it's it's a little bit awkward to take a look at some of those numbers. Um, and also when we start taking a look at those the, the numbers from open beta, they've been open in a lot of these countries since, what was it, like December last year or even earlier? Earlier, earlier. Earlier, you right? Know, where, right? So there's all of these installs and all of this revenue already coming from the roughly 14 million downloads that they had up to this point that they just kind of opened up through these closed and private betas. Um, so when we just look at starting from March 28th, which is when the open beta effectively start, and we only look at Western countries, so I'm not including specifically China, Korea, Japan, or Taiwan, um, we're looking at roughly 50 cents of worldwide RPI already. And again, lots of awkwardness here since there's still players from previous betas continuing to spend. So likely the RPI is actually lower, but there's no clean way to look at this. Uh, but let's do this prediction. How much revenue... Net revenue will League of Legends make in its first year post-open beta in the West. So that's March 28th, 2021 to March 27th, what, What's your definition of West? I thought we were doing for U.S. Is it? Come so on, man. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I, I, I forgot so we were Come I on, man. We were, I, I literally we copied and pasted this text in the Slack at least a week ago. <laughs> The definition of West is no China, no Korea, no Japan, no Taiwan. There is no excuse, Joe. No okay. excuses. I'll throw I'll, it out there. I'm going to throw out a number. Don't worry. Yeah, you'll, you'll throw out a number. Okay, so um, uh, my prediction. So when I took a look at the downloads chart, um, put together this quick comp sheet around MOBAs, um, and also compared it to Call of Duty Mobile and PUBG Mobile. So when we look at the download spike that happened uh, as soon as it went to open beta, roughly about 3 million downloads. When we compare that to something like Call of Duty Mobile, 
it spiked at about 16 million, right? Went on to make 240 million in that first year. Incredible. Obviously, League of Legends is not going to be at that level. So my initial impression of amazing IP coming to mobile, could it replicate what COD did? Very unlikely. Uh, PUBG Mobile spiked at 4 million in that first thing, went on to make 230 downloads. I don't think it's on that path. I think looking at the rate of downloads that it's currently at, we're looking roughly between 30 and 40 million in installs in that first year, even though roughly right now they're at about 10 million in downloads. It's just the rate of that download decay. The question for me is what Riot does through this year for things like esports tournaments, uh, spiking viewership, trying to incentivize people from League of Legends over to their mobile app. Um, so be- I'm going to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here that I'm assuming it's going to be between 40 and 50. And on the other side, it's on the RPI. So typically MOBAs do not make much more than a dollar in RPI over that first year. Mm-hmm. The best game in this space would be Call of Duty Mobile with a dollar twelve after one year, but then you're looking at Mobile Legends, Vainglory, Arena of Valerie, that's between fifty cents and a dollar RPI Jesus. in that first year, right? That's just that's the cosmetic model. That's what they're on here. So well, if you give them a little bit of benefit on heroes, <laughs> I'm gonna say they're gonna hit between a buck and a buck twenty. Right. What? So this basically hits wow. fifty million for the net revenue. <laughs> Okay. I thought I was a fanboy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. I, okay. Go ahead. All right. My, my turn. So played over the weekend, a little bit of qualitative research, both played on iPhone, really small, played on iPad, looked much better. Honestly, I mean, we talked about this with, with JK before starting to, to record this, asked him like, is there anything new about this game? Like what, where, when you started playing it was like, wow, this is truly new. Joe was like, no, this is the same game as I played. This is a Reno Valor. Um, In that sense, it's a very well-made 5v5 MOBA on mobile. Uh, There are some improvements that that I saw clearly, you know, compared to Vainglory, for example, you don't have to go to the store and that adds the accessibility, but that already exists in other 5v5. Uh, Other than that, same jargon, lots of heroes, lots of spells, lots of artifacts, insane amount of depth, the gameplay depth from the get-go. So I doubt that it's going to be that much, um, you know, um, accepted by new audiences to MOBAs. So let's go to my predictions. Runeterra, 13 million installs. Teamfight Tactics, 15 million installs till date on mobile. Wild Rift has 23 till dates. Their first launch, that first batch, which they didn't talk about, was 8 million. That was the peak. They did a second push when they announced that beta is here. That was 6 million. So already smaller than the soft launch peak. The installs are going down significantly. So it seems like they stopped spending and they're kind of trying to figure out how to move forward. So it'll take probably a quarter uh, to, to mull it over and then come back with another strategy. But I predict that, that the install will drop now lower than 1 million a month and will continue there until probably a third wave that they will try. And that will be probably smaller than the 6 million that was the second wave. So based on that, total downloads likely hitting max of 40 million by the end of the year. Uh, and this is me giving them extra 10 for perhaps they pull a rabbit out of out of their hat and uh, and are able to to find some additional growth. On the revenue side, they made 17 million thus far. Uh, they're currently trailing behind Rune Terra's revenue per download, which was 0.7 at this moment. Um, and um, but nevertheless, with the influx of tier one traffic, it should be doable to get them higher. And I think it's going to go there to about buck buck 50 cents with with that tier one traffic uh 
but overall, the, yeah. But overall, the uh, the revenue per download will be on average about a dollar for the first year, and that will be same as with Mobile Legends Bang Bang during the first twelve months. So, in short, my prediction for the end of twenty twenty one, they will make. 40 million in net revenue globally, excluding China because they're not in China. So people in China are playing through VPN, through Hong Kong accounts, if that's allowed. And um, so keep in mind the rules here. So I said my, my prediction was 50 million. You said 40 million to the end of 2021. Yeah. You have to do the prediction all the way to March 27th, 2022, not oh. to the end of the year. So, so I basically add additional four months, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll give them... Um, so mine's 50, and you just called me very, very bullish. I thought, we're adding a All right, I'll go 45. I'll go 45. We're just going to bracket Adam. So yeah. just like, <laughs> the simplest instructions. 51 million. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, with all due respect, like, I, I just don't see – I don't – I don't see anything new. Like I understand that like, it's not like this is league of legends on mobile. And I'm like, I've played this game years ago, like arena of valor launched what 2018 or something like that, like 2018, probably in the West. And when I play this game, I'm like, this is the same, except I don't have Superman and Batman and Joker that I started that game with. Now I have some heroes that I know from TFT because I love that game. Uh, I actually don't know in League of Legends, so so, but it just feels confusing. Um, yeah, but I mean, good luck. All right, I guess I'm going to be at the high end of this mother trucker, right? This point well, because... I'll go over all of you guys. So, <laughs> actually, my my prediction was actually more in line with Adams, but I, I got to be the fanboy, so I'll, I'll just I'll just go over you guys. <laughs> Like so, what what's remarkable about this genre? Not only does it not monetize at all, and does not justify a nickel of freaking spend, right? It doesn't even download all that much, and I, I, that's what I I actually didn't even really know. Like, you know, Vainglory only did like five million downloads, and Arena of Valor only did forty. You know, like I mean, that sounds like a lot, but really, for a game that big and how much they pushed it, you know, like so, really, it's a question of. Keep in mind we're 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 not including China, Japan, Korea, yeah. right? So, so the the fifty, uh, sorry, the the thirty nine million for the one year in Arena of Valor is everyone outside of those countries, mm-hmm. right? No, no, I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like that's small, and so I, I think building a MOBA in the West is really stupid, and I've said that a gazillion time on the podcast. So I continue to think it's stupid. Um, I think Wild Rift has a bit of a shot because I think you're right. I think they will cross promote and they will do things to make it more compelling to that to that audience in theory. Like if they do some kind of like giveaway for game for I mean, play the game and so you get something in 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 League of Legends or something. I, I, but all that stuff is just like lipstick on a pig, right? This thing is no. not going to make any money, right? You know, and it's going to. I think it's a really not smart to cannibalize their existing business. But anyway, having said all that. I mean, I think they get on the high end of the of the downloads and probably do like thirty five to forty million, and they do a buck twenty five, buck fifty, you know, ultimately in a year. And, and that and that seems the, the, the RPI is the one that's the real stretch, right? To me, just generally speaking. Uh, so I'm saying sixty million in the West by the end of the first year. Oh wow! I'm becoming the hater. Oh wow! I mean, you always I were say, the hater. You always so, were. It's yeah. fine. So 40, 50, <laughs> and you said sixty. 
You guys just bracketed him. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> okay, so like from my perspective, you know, the, the thing about League of Legends and just MOBAs in general is that like, you know, crack is crack, guys. I mean, if you have crack, why try to create croc? You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's, it's 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 still it's still a great what? game. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think I don't think you need to like adds that much innovation i i actually think that arena valor actually has some things that are better about it than uh wild rift but at the same time i'm not playing arena valor i'm playing wild rift i think there's um you know uh i i do think that there are some network effects around wild rift in the sense that you know people who were fans of league of legends are now kind of coming back you're reactivating a lot of um older players who are slower and you know mobile for old slow guys is better than trying to compete and trying to learn like three thousand champions on on the PC version. Uh, having said that, I you know it to the point that we've been making. I mean, the monetization is just way too friendly. You know, yeah. like day two, I had thirty champs, and then you know I spent twenty bucks and I had nothing to spend it on. I was like, okay, what do I? What, well, I have nothing to buy. I'm, I already have more free champ things, items, and so I was like, well. Okay, well, I'm glad I gave Riot money because I'm a fan, but you know, it's nothing to buy. So I, I mean, like, it's hard to imagine the RP getting to the higher end, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, competitively, it's probably going to be at the lower end. Now, having said that, I can't be lower than you guys. I think my original estimate uh, back in the mm-hmm. back when Eric and I were talking about this was 20, 20 million for U.S. only. Uh, I'll just say 80, 80 million for the West. <laughs> Why not? All right, there we Why go. <laughs> I want to be clear on my last point, and I know we we have to go. Is that the fact that the, these numbers are so low, and if they do 100 million, it'll be an absolute shocker. Does not in any way justify anybody out there making a freaking MOBA on mobile, right? This is freaking riot, okay? And they can't make it. This is like mice nuts to them, right? This is... Well, again, it depends on your destination, right? They'll have the horizon view here, right? They're not going to... This is... We're only talking about the first year of a live service. I know, but I'm saying... They're also launching it on console, right? There's... They will have the long point of view here. They'll keep it running, and even if mobile isn't that great in revenue, no, no, I still well, think they're going to invest. No, but I'm saying, I'm saying, I know, and this is right, right? They have all this freaking League Legends money that they can throw at this, but this would not be a profitable venture for anybody else besides Riot. And even for Riot, I question whether but it's mobile profitable. Legends has been profitable in the West. Yeah. So Most I think if you're talking about Southeast, Southeast Asia, dude. But I think if you look That's at the this, if you look at this <laughs> list of comps, right, like Mobile Legends, Bang Bang, Arena, Valor, COD Mobile, PUBG Mobile, in order to get to the RPIs that we're talking about that are profitable, right, yeah. it takes a lot of people. These PvP surfaces yes. Yes. are run yeah. by a ton so I, of cosmetics and events. Not I, a lot of developers can do that. Obvious case in point being Bangalore. Yeah. Right. So, but so I don't... I have talked to some folks about Mobile Legends, Bang Bang in the West, and actually even some of the estimates i had in terms of their operating costs were were off they were too high so i i do think they they are pretty profitable in the west yeah so. again, again you know i know eric you you always want that massive scale but i mean you know for me is is wild rift free made cash flows free cash flow so is, is wild rift made of la i i Somebody mentioned that they were LA and some people in China as well. Yeah, because I, I forgot who told me that. Was that am I not supposed to say that? I, I, I forgot if that was like. No. Uh, anyway. 
Word on the street. Word on the street. <laughs> Word on the street. Word on the street. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's it. I'm the official hater now. I feel bad about it, but I keep playing TFT. So, guys, let give put something I can buy. All right. 45, 50, 60, 80. Let's go. All right. That's good. All right. Basically, basically, uh, Adam loses no matter what. No, no, no. <laughs> He's good. I like this. He's the lowest. This was his idea. He's going to lose. Because he just got boxed in. No, you got to go first. Adam, you never go first, dude. No, 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 but keep in mind, the, the rule is whoever is the farthest away. Yeah, it's probably uh, going to be me, right? Dinner, like, which, is, which is impossible for the people in the middle, oh, Eric and myself. So, All right. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah I mean, I should have said BDC's Steakhouse. 